Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I'm not like all these young guys on staff. I need to have my notes up here. Otherwise, it'd be about a three-minute message. Maybe that'd be preferable. That's about the length of my memory. We are still in the Christmas season, though. I know Christmas was yesterday. And I know generally here um, in America, Christmas is the 25th, 26th, if it's not a Sunday, you're putting all your things away, you're putting them away, and we're saying Christmas is over. But biblically, Christmas never ends. Christmas is always here. The Christmas story, we rarely finish the story because we end up with the nativity scene, Jesus is born, everything happens, and then we say, good, God is with us. So today I wanted to finish that story, the Christmas story, today, since it literally is the day after Christmas, and we have, um, I'll say, the days after Christmas right here with us. So let me give you something to think about first. Two things. You're going to turn to your neighbor and answer one of these two questions. Was there ever anything at Christmas that you really longed for, you really had set your mind to, and you got it or you didn't get it? Or is there something you're really longing for in the new year? So turn to your neighbor and tell them maybe a story about Christmas past when you really longed for something and got it or didn't. And, and if your child is with you today, it's their chance to tell you what they really wanted and they didn't get one time. And then or something you're really longing for in the new year. Okay, did you figure out who your neighbors are? That's really, I just want you to figure out who your neighbors are. We're, we're, we're church family here, and I'll just make sure we all know who we're sitting by today. You know, we do have longings. We all long for something. Like for a year and a half, I've longed that COVID would disappear. It hasn't. Um, well, I guess it never was here, depending on who you talk to. But we won't get controversial. But um, I know there are some that wish COVID would go away. I've longed for that. I long for that for the church because there's still people that are afraid to come back to church because they need COVID to be gone. So we long for things. And that's what our story is about today. We're going to look at the finishing of the Christmas story with two individuals, Simeon and Anna. They literally had longed to see something their whole life. We really don't have a time, a little, enough time to get into the background, but literally... God had not been in the temple for probably 400 years since the Babylonian captivity had taken Israel away. And so, Simeon and Anna, the background is, probably their whole life, their, their parents' life, their grandparents' life, they had longed to see God's glory back in the temple. They were looking for that. And so that's where this Christmas story really ends today. Let's look at this in Luke 2 verse 22 we're going to read through it and then we'll talk about the passage so it says when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses jo Moses Joseph and Mary then took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him as the Lord it had already been written in the law every firstborn male must be consecrated to the Lord verse 24 and so to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves or two young pigeons 
So before you went to the temple, you needed to do a sin offering. So that's what this is. They did their sin offering. But when they went to the temple, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation, the salvation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to do what they were going to do, consecrate him, as the law required, Simeon says, took him in his arms, the baby Jesus, and praised God, saying the following, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people of Israel. And then it tells us about another person. It says, after their parents had marveled at what was said about him, Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, This child, Mary, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Verse 36, there was also another person, a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phineal of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So we see she was at least 84 plus years old. She never left the temple, never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she, Anna, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So this is how the Christmas story kind of ends. Jesus enters a normal human life in his day, a Jewish life, after all that had happened around the nativity and Christmas and all that had happened there. So now he enters his normal life. They go back to their normal daily living. They consecrate Jesus on the eighth day as they were told. And then normal life begins. That's like many of us, right? Christmas is come and gone. We'll put our Christmas things away and we'll get back to normal life. According to this, at the very beginning of the text, we meet an old man named Simeon. And at the end, we see an old woman named Anna. Let's look at their lives a little bit. According to verse 26, it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah, the Lord's Messiah, Christ. And so when Jesus was brought to the temple eight days of age, Simeon was moved by the Spirit to be there at the same time. And then verse 38, we see that at the very hour, Anna also was there and recognized that Jesus was a child and began to thank God and speak about the babe. So we have two old saints in the Jewish faith who had longed to see the Messiah child that just happened to be there by God's leading at the same time that Jesus was being consecrated. And so I asked the question, why these two? Can you imagine how many Jewish saints there were at that point that had been in the temple? So why does Luke point out at the end of the Christmas story that these two individuals were selected to be able to see Jesus. I think that Luke wants us to see what he said in the passage. He said, Simeon was a righteous and devout man with the Holy Spirit upon him. And he says, Anna scarcely departs from the temple, worshiping God and fasting and prayer night and day. So they are both very God-centered people longing to see something different. When you look at this, you're thinking, why those two? Why were they chosen? 
It's because they were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were looking for the salvation. They were longing for it. So their heart was ready. They were ready to God, Emmanuel, to be with them. They were ready for that. So if we think about that, and then we think about, okay, now Christmas starts with us. Life begins. We put our Christmas away. So how can we be ready to receive God is with us throughout this rest of the year? What does God do to make a heart ready to receive what he has for them? The longings of their soul. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I think that God prepares us for that. He prepares us for that by giving us a longing and a hope that there's more. Have you not felt that during COVID, that there's got to be more beyond what's going on in our world right now? Something has to come in. We know that that is God with us, and we have a longing for something to be different. We have a hope for that to happen. We see this in the first coming of Christ here with Simeon and Anna. They are granted that privilege of getting to meet the Christ child and hold him in their arms. What they had waited for their whole life. And we're also told that we are to long that way for the second coming of Christ. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will now appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are awaiting by him. That could say longing for him. So the first coming was Christmas, the second coming is yet to come. But today I really want us to look at what I would say the third coming in between those are. And that is conversion. That is what is salvation and redemption that Anna and Simeon so long for. What is that in between there that we saw in the Christ child and now we get by what we call conversion? What is that true hope? that we have at Christmas time and throughout the year as we long for the appearing of the Lord. So let's look at how God prepares a heart to live out that conversion or to receive that conversion. What is salvation and redemption? Mark talked about it Christmas Eve, that Jesus came to save the world from its sins. So what does that really mean? What has happened? What happens when you are saved? When you find salvation and redemption. It's what God does again and again in our world. He may be doing it for you this Christmas. It's a gift, although we don't see it as a gift. It's when God graciously, yet tenderly, frustrates us in our world. It's God frustrating you in the world because things aren't right. And when God does that, it's a gift to us because it creates a longing in us for something more. If your world was perfect right now, and you had no problems, you had no sins that so easily trip you up, you'd be pretty arrogant, and you would long for nothing. I've only heard one man my whole life that said, you know, I've got everything I want on earth. It's just perfect right here. I can't imagine wanting to go to heaven. I was shocked because he claimed to be a Christian. My life wasn't like that. My life, I long for things, and I think it's God's gift to us to stir up in us that longing by graciously and tenderly frustrating you. So when you get frustrated, it may be God doing that to you. So let's look at what is the hope when we're frustrated. Let's go back to Simeon. He said that Christ is the hope of Israel. The hope that Simeon comes from Isaiah 41. He knew this verse. It says, comfort 
and console my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. Remember up to this point, the Israel people had known nothing but war. They were a war-weary people. They were frustrated every turn they went. And so they were looking for hope, just like we do. The hope Jesus brought in the fulfillment was Simeon seeing this is the Christ. He knew what that meant. He knew that God was going to come in and comfort and console those war-weary people. He knew that God's pardon would now be for all those who felt guilty. They would now be on this side of Christ, and they would understand that pardon. Same with you and I. We get a restoration of everything in our past when we get that salvation, that redemption that Simeon and Anna hoped for. We get a comfort and a consolation. We get a hope from that. So what kind of hope? What kind of hope did Jesus bring us as the Christ child? He gave us the hope that God's anger towards us is no longer there. Instead of dealing with us in wrath now, God deals with us in grace and mercy and love. We're no longer estranged from God. We are now brought together as His children. It's the hope that the Heavenly Father now deals with us tenderly in all our weaknesses and problems. It's the hope that our sins are pardoned and we have a brand new outlook in life, a brand new creation, the Bible says. It's the hope that we're looking for in this Christ child as we live out the rest of the year. Now, if you're a theologian, you may be saying, well, that passage is really about Israel and Jerusalem. So what does that do with us? And I'd say, well, you know, that's not true. Because Simeon makes sure, Luke Luke records it, Simeon's blessing says this, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So he made sure everyone was included. He made sure whether you're Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter. You were included in the Christ child's hope, the Christ child's answer, the light of salvation, God's hope. Jesus Christ is the hope of the Father saying, come to me, all you who are weary, I will give you rest. It's God's giving us those open arms. It's an amnesty and a pardon for all of our past sins. The Bible says that they are buried deep, never to be rose again. And then finally, the divine hope as we look back on all of our sin, my hate, my racism, my anger, my guilt, my shame, my doubts, my failure, when I look back on all that, Jesus says, what sin? It's gone. It's buried. I don't see any sin. I see you behind Christ, and you are perfect. You're my child. I see as you will be one day, not as you are. Second thing that I want to look at is not only was he the redemption or the salvation of Israel, but the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption is a, kind of a weird word. Here's a little different form of redemption that I'm going to redeem you from all future enemies. Not just redeem you from your sin and your guilt and your, um, all your past, but I'm also going to give you power and protection as we move forward. I'm going to already redeem you from the powers that are ahead of you. Salvation and redemption are the central theme of the Bible. So let's dig deep real quick. Let's look at three parts of salvation and redemption. We're going to look at the past, what you received, the present, where you are currently, and the future, where you will be one day. So we're going to look at if salvation and redemption are so important, 
let's dig it in a minute and look at first the first aspect of the reality is your salvation past what does God say about that God says this those who are in Christ have already been past tense saved if you're in Christ Ephesians 2 8 9 says it this way for by grace you have been saved through faith and then not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast so as Christians in the past you now are saved you will never ever be held accountable for your sins again they're gone pardoned full amnesty it refers to the first aspect which is justification just as if I had never sinned I'm justified by Christ and I am now declared perfect not guilty in God's law it's as if a legal requirement was met by Jesus and now our past is forgiven I love the law term there the law term is imputed imputed means I declare for you I give you and I have the authority therefore so I impute God imputes his gift to us of no longer being guilty for our sin so if God doesn't condemn you for your sin let me ask you a quick question why do you still condemn yourself for your sin God says you're no longer in the condemnation but you're now forgiven which leads to the second part that happened in the past it's called adoption the Bible says we were also declared justified and now we're declared adopted so the Bible says that when we become a believer we are adopted into God's family and now he is our father and now we are his all that was in um, salvation past you're justified you're declared as not guilty and then you're declared as God's family you're adopted in the second part of redemption and salvation is what happens presently so presently we get two gifts as well the first one is called sanctification we continually get a second chance and we're made more and more like Christ Romans 8 says that we are being conformed to the image of Christ so we can be more and more like him. It's a process. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says it this way. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, being saved, you get that? Continually being saved, it is the power of God. So there's a process of sanctification that's happening to you now justified adopted and now you're in the process of being sanctified to become more like Christ the other thing that happens in present is that we're being persevered we call it the perseverance of the Saints God is keeping you saved through Christ to the end we don't need to worry about losing our salvation because if presently we're being sanctified and if we're being sanctified then God is holding us to the end because he sees what Christ has done now the good thing in sanctification is that you no longer have to sin now you choose to sin but you have the power not to once you're in Christ but sometimes we don't choose to do that and the Bible says God is faithful if you confess your sin he will continually forgive it and lose it that's the great part about it so we have salvation past salvation present and in salvation future so what does it say about salvation future it says Romans 5 9 having now been justified by the blood of Christ we shall be saved from wrath through him 
So future salvation says that I will be saved from any wrath that happens upon my death or upon the end of humanity. And salvation now will be the point that we get to eventually. We're not there yet. And that's called glorification. So the theological words that I love, you're justified, declared not guilty. You get to the process of now you're God's child, you're adopted. You're sanctified here during this life right now. And ultimately, you're going to be glorified. Now, the beauty of glorification, you're no longer allowed to sin. You can't sin. It's impossibility, which is great, isn't it? I can't wait for that part. Um, My wife probably can't wait for that part when I can no longer sin. Um, So that's what we say. Jesus brought redemption and salvation. When Simeon and Anna say they longed for that from Christ, that's what they got. They got all of that in one. You're justified. You're adopted into God's family. Happens. You do nothing about it except confess your sin, commit your life to Jesus, and you're in his family. You're sanctified daily. God's working on you. It's what I said earlier. Maybe his Christmas gift to you is frustrating you and what's happening right now because he's trying to sanctify you and make you more like Christ. And then ultimately, we are glorified upon death. To be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. That's what we get with the Christ child. When the Christ child came, that's what Simeon and Anna were longing for. They were longing for that salvation and redemption. Thank you, Jesus, that your act of salvation and redemption has accomplished in our life what Simeon and Anna were wanting to happen in theirs. Thank you, Jesus, that ongoing salvation sanctifies us and makes us more like you. And thank you, Jesus, that our end is assured because of what you did on the cross. Thank you for salvation and redemption. So, how is the heart prepared for all that salvation and redemption? It's what I've been saying. God frustrates you. He gets you to a point you just can't do it any longer on your own. It's that gritting teeth. I can't go on like this. And God's like, I finally got you there. That's where I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you so frustrated that you want to change things in your life to become who I ultimately see you as, as that sanctified saint. So this morning in closing, I want us to look at three things that we have to get out of the way to have our heart prepared for the Christ child to come in and do his work on us. The first one, the heart must become discontented with the praise of men. The heart must become discontented with the praise of men. The Bible says it this way. How can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? John 5. How can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? It's a great problem to want to be liked by other people and to want to be like other people. That's what it means, the praise of men. You want to be like other people And you want to be liked by other people. When you chase those two things, you become satisfied with the praise of men. And the praise of men will always dissatisfy you ultimately. They love you today, they hate you tomorrow. You got 100,000 likes today, and you're off TikTok tomorrow. God loves you. He wants you to seek His praise because His praise is real. So how do you do that? How do you prepare your heart to be someone who doesn't seek the praise of men? It's not easy. 
How do you get big muscles? You work out. How do you get big spiritual muscles? You work out. They're called spiritual disciplines. They're called habits. So some of those habits that will help you get away from seeking the praise of man is reading God's Word. Pastor Mark brought a good one in here. Shoot for seven and hit five days a week. I almost messed that up. I always say this is not right, and Mark's probably going to get frustrated. I always say shoot for seven and settle for five. You're really not settling. You're hitting five. That's your goal. So if you get into God's Word daily, at least five times a week, I guarantee you, you'll start seeking God's glory more than you seek man's glory. Second one is to pray. When you read God's Word, you pray. We've encouraged you to take three of your friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, and put them on a list that you're praying for specifically. You pray for those three, and God begins to change your mind and your heart to seek His glory and not theirs. It's what makes it hard to share our story with other people or invite them to church. We care more about what they think about us than what they think about God. So we've got to be discontented with man's praise and seek God's glory. And those are the habits that will help us get there. Read God's word, pray, invite people, share your story with people. It will get your focus on God and not man. The second thing you must do to prepare your heart to receive Christ and have that longing is to be discontented with the power and pleasure of money. Oh, money is such a trap, especially here in North Dallas. Luke 16, 14 says it this way. The Pharisees heard all these things and mocked Jesus. Interesting paragraph here. For they were lovers of money. So why did the Pharisees mock Jesus? I don't know exactly how it connected, but the Bible says it's because they were lovers of money. Money gets in our way in our relationship with God if we let it. Is money evil? Trick question. Is money evil? No. The love of money can be the root of all evil. Money is just money. But the love of money kept the Pharisees from following Jesus. So what is the antidote to seeking the pleasure and power of money? Give it away. When you learn to give money away, when you learn to be generous... It's the antidote, not the fix, it's the antidote to being a lover of money. We've got a little tool that kind of helps you do that. If you don't give anything away at all, then we suggest you start giving something away regularly. If you're giving something away regularly, giving to your church, giving to others, then take it to a percent where you get a little more disciplined. If you already give it a percent, you raise that to a little higher percent until you get to 10% is what God asks you to do. And I don't know how that works, but somewhere around 10% plus an offering helps us not to have the love of money. Now, does the church want your money? No. As one of your pastors, I want you to give because that's the only way I can assure you're laying up treasure in heaven is when you give it away. When you give money away, the Bible pretty much says you're laying up treasure in heaven. And then finally, the third thing you must do after you've gotten dis- you've learned how to be discontented with the praise of man, you've learned to become discontented with the power and pleasure of money, then something needs to happen spiritually. It's beyond flesh and blood. It must be a revelation from God the Father opening our eyes and our hearts so that we cry out like the man who stumbled upon that incredible treasure in the Bible and Peter himself says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the hope of all my losses, 
the redemption over all my enemies. I see you for who you really are, and I receive you. God does that. When we begin to do the spiritual disciplines, God begins to move our heart to long for him. The best way to do this is in worship. To come here and worship with your fellow brothers and sisters. To be in a small group that worships. When you worship, it creates a longing for more of God. You can never, ever be satiated with God. The more you get, the more you want. It's such a great thing. The more you worship, the more you pray, the more you read the Bible, the more you want to do all those things. It just makes you more disciplined all around. Now, a reminder from Martin Luther, you're never blessed because of your spiritual disciplines. You're never blessed because you do it. We're not a works religion. You're never blessed because you do it, but you're rarely blessed outside of those spiritual disciplines. It's not a works, but somehow when you're doing God's spiritual disciplines is when you have a longing for God, when things just seem to work out, is when you're doing those spiritual disciplines. So I know that all of us will encounter different battles as we move through this year. I know all of us this morning are in different place. But I'll tell you what I also know, that God controls everything this morning. God is still sovereign. He still knows what's going on in our world. God is still actively about your life, my life, LifePoint's life, and the world's life. God is in control, even if it doesn't seem like it at times. I don't know what your losses are this year. I know there are many. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you're dealing with drugs or alcohol. Maybe your um, sin is lust. Maybe you're loving money and you don't want to do that. Maybe you feel like you're failing God. Maybe you feel like you're failing your family. Maybe your health is failing. Maybe your job has failed. Um, there are all sorts of things that we battle with throughout the year. But I know God still controls them. Battles and heartaches are endless. Because we live in a world that still has sin in it. That's our longing for a salvation future, is there will be no more sin. We cannot sin, we'll all be perfect. But now we live in a world that's wrought with sin, and we struggle. These are the battles, is the reason we need to come to Christ. I can't guarantee you many things, but I can tell you all these problems and troubles you have are going to be a whole lot different with Christ. He eventually brings good out of all things, good or bad, not only in this world, but a lot of times it's in the world to come. But all rights are wronged when this baby child came to us. It's promise. In him, you will find restoration from things that have been lost in your past. You'll find a liberation in Christ. We find forgiveness and freedom in Christ. We get that pardon and we get that power over sin. And then we get a healing from everything that's happened in our past that will happen during sanctification. And ultimately we are sealed and we will be permanently healed in salvation future. So that's what God gives us. That's how he prepares a heart for him to come into. And that is Emmanuel, God with us. Let me end with this verse. Psalms 23. It ends this way. It says, Surely goodness, that's redemption, Goodness is things God gives you that you don't deserve. And mercy, that's salvation. That's things God doesn't give you that you do deserve. So surely goodness, redemption, and mercy, salvation shall follow us all the days of our life. And then one day, it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
you have a whole new opportunity now as Christmas moves forward, as a new year moves forward. You could make 2022 your best year ever. You could make January 1st your best New Year's ever. It's your choice. The best way it's going to be possible is if you're longing for Christ. When Christ is with you through your journey, now He's there with you whether you know it or not. If you're a believer, Christ is always with you. You may not acknowledge Him, but He's always with you. But if you don't know Christ, He isn't with you. You are truly alone. So this morning, if you do not know Christ, the best thing you can do to start your new year out is to surrender to His Lordship. What does that even mean? It means that you commit your life to follow Jesus. You acknowledge the sins in your life have parted you from the Father and that there's a reconciliation that needs to happen. You have sinned against the Father and now those sins are held against you without Christ. So all salvation is is saying, God, I want what Jesus Christ did on the cross, dying for my sins, to count for me. And when you do that and you surrender and commit your life to Christ, it says He forgives you and makes you a brand new creation. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. You're a brand new creation. All those things about salvation are yours. You're justified, you're adopted, you're sanctified, and one day you'll be persevered until you're glorified. God loves you. God loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much to let you stay that way. He's sanctifying us to conform us to the image of Christ. You are loved. God is with you. God is with us because it's been declared to be so. You made the choice as a Christian, and now as you follow Christ, He is with you. He is making all things that look bad ultimately to your good as He conforms you to the image of Christ. He's preparing you to prepare your heart to long for Jesus more. And this next year, I'll also guarantee you, if you'll do those spiritual disciplines, God will bless you even beyond anything you could ever hope or imagine. He's promised it to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for salvation and redemption. Lord, you are everything to us. You are our king. You are our father. You are our glory. Lord, help us to know how to do that better. As we move into this new year, God, I ask you to grant my church family the ability to long for you more. God, make that longing so deep that we can't help but chase you. And know, God, you're always there We always find you. So God, help us as a church, as individuals, to seek you above all else. You've promised if we seek you first, all the other things will be added unto us as they are good for us. Jesus, it's all about you. Thank you for coming as a baby, for taking that assignment as Mark preached about on Christmas Eve, for taking that assignment and then earning salvation for us. God, thank you for declaring us to be holy and just because of Christ. Thank you, God, for adopting us into your family and calling us your children, fellow heirs for all of eternity. Thank you for sanctifying us now and persevering us until the end. God, may you be glorified and honored in all that we do in our life over this next year. It's all about you. God, use us to change our world. Use us to change our friends, our family, our co-workers, our neighbors. Give us the boldness to help change their life as well. Because you're a gift to us, may we give that gift to them. Emmanuel, Jesus, thank you 
for being in us, around us, through us, and in all things we do. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.